Good day, everyone. This is 965 Pediacast, episode 5, uh, Respiratory Module. Thank you, Dr. Adari Majid. Dr. Adari Majid is a pediatric pulmonology consultant and also a sleep and long-term ventilation specialist. She'll be talking today about uh, the topic of asthma. Uh, hello, Dr. Adari. Hi, Dr. Taiba. Thank you. Uh, so, Dr. Adari will talk us over today about the uh, pediatric asthma. And uh, Dr. Adari, if you wouldn't mind, we'd like to ask you specific questions. We would like to know about the definition, etiology, and pathophysiology uh, of asthma in brief. Thank you, Dr. Adari, for having me today. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, uh, the asthma topic is really um, a very common pediatric problem. And it has a lot of debatable issues. It's a really large topic to talk about. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to summarize today what I can, and hopefully it will be uh, informative to the audience. Uh, so in definition, asthma is a chronic inflammatory disease of the airways. It is characterized by recurrent episodes of airflow obstruction resulting from edema, bronchospasm, and increased muscle and mucus production. It is commonly associated with seasonal allergies as an allergic rhinitis eczema, as in atopic dermatitis, and these three conditions uh, form what we know as the atopic triad. The etiology uh, of asthma is uh, remain unclear uh, and is likely uh, a multifactorial in origin. Both genetic and environmental factors contribute to asthma type, severity, and its response to treatment. Many childhood exposures have also been the target of research. Tobacco smoke exposure appears to increase the risk of development of asthma, and it's actually very prevalent in our community in Kuwait. And it is also a known trigger for exacerbation in those already diagnosed with the disease. Other risk factors include animal, mite, dust, mold, or other allergens, as well as air pollutants. The lower respiratory infection are a common asthma trigger, and there is a particular association with respiratory syncytial virus, the RSV, and asthma. This relationship is not a causative in, uh, in uh, origin. So to talk about the pathophysiology, the pathophysiology of asthma involves the infiltration of inflammatory cells, including neutrophils, eosinophils, and lymphocytes into the airways, causing activation of mast cells and damage to the epithelial cells. These inflammatory responses lead to the classic features of airway swelling, increased mucus production, and bronchial muscle dysfunction, which produces airway flow limitation and asthma symptoms. Remodeling, which is a term used to describe persistent changes in the airway structure can occur, ultimately leading to fibrosis, mucus hypersecretion, epithelial cell injury, and smooth muscle hypertrophy and angiogenesis which give the chronic classic features of asthma and bronchospasm. Thank you, Dr. Avadi, for this comprehensive explanation. Now, the diagnosis of asthma has always been a dilemma. Would you please guide us through the diagnosis and diagnostic tools used in pediatric asthma? Excellent question. So making a diagnosis of asthma, we should, be, uh, we should consider asthma diagnosis in patient whenever the, any of the following indicators are present. A recurrent episode of cough, wheezing, difficulty breathing, or chest tightness, symptoms that occur at night or disrupt sleep, symptoms that appear to be triggered by upper respiratory tract infections, exercise exposure, exposure to animals, dust, mold, tobacco smoke, aerosols, 
change in weather or emotional stress. In children who are five years of age and older, a pre and post bronchodilator spirometry testing can help to confirm the diagnosis. A baseline spirometry provides the following information, a forced vital capacity, a forced expiratory volume at one second, and the FEV1 FVC ratio and the forced 25 to 75%, which is the difference between the forced expiratory volumes at 25 and 75%. The uh, assessment of the bronchodilator response begins with a baseline spirometry, followed by administration of a short-acting bronchodilator. And according to the ATS ERS guidelines, a reversibility is deemed significant when there is a greater than 12% improvement from baseline or an increase in over 200 ml in FEV1. Uh, in younger patients, a preschool uh, children, uh, using a other modality to test for airway resistance uh, is usually performed in our hospital, which is the impulse oscillometry, where we basically uh, uh, measure the airway resistance and reactance during simple tidal breathing. This is a simple non-invasive test, and it helps us uh, detect airway obstruction and airway reversibility. Uh, a third test that can be used is the peak flow monitoring, which is uh, is a rather a, a monitoring asthma tool rather than a diagnostic tool, where we provide the patient with a peak flow monitor uh, for diurnal measurement of peak flows, where a decline of 20 to 30 percent from baseline or patient best indicate an impending or a current exacerbation. A peak flow less than 40% of their best is indicate, indicative of severe exacerbation. Uh, in the case where the spirometry result or the IOS results comes negative, yet the patient has clinical symptoms suggestive of asthma, a prov provocation testing is a, uh, a more diagnostic test that we refer to, meaning that the patient displays typical symptoms like coughing, wheezing, or dyspnea with normal spirometry testing. So there are two kinds of provocation testing. One of them is the exercise testing, where we ask the patient to do a baseline spirometry, followed by a structured exercise protocol on a treadmill, followed by a serial spirometry measurement, and a test usually is positive and suggestive of exercise-induced asthma if the FEV1 reduction is greater than 15% from baseline. And then there is the chemical provocation bronchoprovocation test, which is the methacholine challenge. And uh, methacholine is a known drug that acts on the acetylcholine receptors and causes transient narrowing of the airways by inducing bronchoconstriction. We provide different concentrations of methacholine to the patient by nebulization and perform a serial FEV1 measurements. And usually the test is positive when there is a reduction in FEV1 greater than 20% from baseline. A normal test is adequate to rule out asthma, however, the methacholine challenge test may be falsely positive. And more recently, we have incorporated the pheno measurement or the fractionated exhaled nitric oxide measurement. This is an uninvasive measurement of fractional exhaled nitric oxide, which is elevated in airway eosinophilic inflammation and is typical of asthma. It can easily be measured in children as young as three years of age and older. A pheno value greater than 50 parts per million is consistent with a eosinophilic inflammation and indicate uh, the uh, res responsiveness to corticosteroid therapy. Limitations include that a negative test does not really exclude the diagnosis of asthma. 
as in other phenotypes of asthma, such as the non-eosinophilic inflammation or patients who are already on corticosteroids therapies. In addition, a cutoff abnormal values may be lower in children and can be as low as 35 parts per million. So uh, it's a well-validated test in children. However, the cutoff value can be different from what is described in the adult literature. Finally, allergy testing can be a utility to be used when we are diagnosing asthma in children. Uh, testing can be done to inhalant allergens, likely uh, molds, pollens, dander, dust mites. Uh, these are common triggers in patients with asthma. And think about performing an allergy testing when your patient has persistent asthma, the atopic triad, and is not uh, well controlled on adequate adherence and well prescribed doses of medication. Microarray testing for IgE can further elucidate the allergy triggers. Thank you, Dr. Hadari. This has been very informative. As we're reaching to an end, can you please simplify the management approach in terms of controllers, uh, controllers relievers, and step-up therapies used in asthma? Excellent. So asthma management comes in different contexts. So today we are talking about the uh, control of asthma and rather stepping up the therapy. Uh, we will not cover in the discussion the management of acute asthma exacerbation or status asthmaticus. So asthma exacerbation are diagnosed clinically and do not need or require laboratory or imaging study routinely. It is appropriate to begin treatment uh, at the beginning as you suspect that there is an exacerbation. It is appropriate to consider a chest x-ray in the following settings. When a patient presents as a first wheezing episode, when you have an asymmetric lung findings, when there is an associated unexplained fever, when symptoms continue to worsen despite appropriate treatment, and when the patient is critically ill. A chest x-ray may reveal hyperinflated lungs and interstitial prominence, and if there are any focal consolidation, the patient should also receive treatment for pneumonia. So when we approach uh, the management of asthma, usually there is the non-pharmacological management and then the pharmacological treatment. The non-pharmacological management try to avoid exposures to environmental factors and precipitants by, that may provoke asthma. Most commonly in Kuwait is really the tobacco exposure or the passive exposure. Food or drug triggers and pollutants and irritants is a vital step in uh, managing asthma. Uh, you may wish to check the vitamin D level as vitamin D deficiency has been noted to be highly prevalent in patients with atopic disease and chronic inflammation. And there has been reports and studies that support the uh, support that the vitamin D deficiency contribute to the disruption of the immune system and lead to worsening of reactive airway disease. Increased screening and appropriate supplementation may lead to an improvement in atopic disease, including asthma. Uh, the next step is starting the step therapy. I'm going to target the population of 5 to 11 years of age, which is our most uh, mostly encountered, encountered uh, group of patients. As in Kuwait, we see patients who are less than 12 years of age. So there are five steps. They are being regularly reviewed by main authorities, such as the GINA guidelines, such as the EPR, uh, which is the expert panel uh, reports from the uh, allergic uh, uh, American Allergy Immunology uh, Consortium, as well the NHLI. So there are many references for asthma uh, guideline. Uh, so you will notice always small differences. The main concept is as follow. Management as of asthma, you need to tackle different um, 
different uh, uh, targets to control treatment. So one of them is the bronchodilator benefits and the other one is the anti-inflammatory. Uh, for the step one, it is the preferred treatment option when you have a patient with intermittent asthma, as well as a quick, a quick relief uh, of asthma symptoms and the prevention of exercise and use bronchoconstriction. And this uh, step, uh, it is recommended to use a short-acting beta-2 agonist. Uh, they have quick onset of action within 5 to 15 minutes with a duration of action that would last 4 to 6 hours. Their uh, administration is most often given by a nebulizer, which is an aerosol therapy, or by a beta dose inhaler through a spacer. The GINA 2022 guidelines have added a low dose of ICS to be used alongside the SABA, which is recommended as an intermittent course. So with a step one, we do recommend using combination of LABA and ICS in small dose as an intermittent courses that would last a month to two months to control exacerbations. Moving forward to step two to five, refer to the option of persistent asthma. And each of these steps in health corticosteroids are the component and the preferred treatment regimen and different dosages. The prefer, preferred treatment for step two is low dose in health corticosteroids and SABA or a Montelukast that can be as an alternative. The preferred option for step three is medium dose ICS and the zero to four year old children and the five to 11 year old uh, group. Preferred option would be a medium dose ICS and uh, LABA or a low dose ICS and formiterol, which is basically a, a fast onset long acting bronchodilator, uh, which are we using now more uh, commonly in our populations uh, who require step three management in asthma. Uh, there was a black box warning on LABAs before due to the concerns about increasing death in patients taking LABAs alone. However, they, according to a more recent studies, LABAs demonstrated safety when they are combined with ICS. So remember always to cover both arms of asthma disease, which are inflammation and bronchoconstriction. In step four, uh, in the zero to four-year-old group uh, range, uh, medium dose of ICS either ANABA or Montelukast, uh, and in age 5 to 11 uh, years of age, a medium dose ICS and LABA is the preferred option. And finally, in step 5, a high dose ICS and LABA, consideration of manizumab, which is an anti-IG antibody, an anti-IL-4 receptor antibody, and anti-interleukin-5 uh, are considered biological agents to treat uh, severe refractory asthma which should be done under a specialist uh, umbrella. Uh, remember, as part of treatment, asthma action plans are recommended for all patients with asthma. These are individualized and should be written in partnership with the patient as adherence is the most important step in controlling symptoms. Thank you, Dr. Arvani. Uh, so one last question would be, uh, when would you recommend to refer uh, the asthma patient to a pulmonologist? Excellent. So. We, I recommend referring uh, to a pulmonologist uh, for patients who display signs of severe disease or who have other complicating conditions. Patients who had a life-threatening exacerbation or exacerbation requiring hospitalization. Uh, refer your patient if he's not meeting the goals of therapy after three to six months and is being considered for immune therapy uh, or asthma mimickers. Uh, refer also a patient who requires a step four or higher care 
Although in patients who are uh, aged between zero to four years of age, refer them earlier when they are at step two or higher, uh, or uh, if your patient has needed more than two bursts of oral corticosteroids in a year, this reflects that he is uncontrolled and should be assessed by a specialist. Uh, finally, uh, when you have a patient with complex psychosocial environment and suboptimal compliance or exposure to provoking factors, consider referring them to your specialist for assisted help and, uh, and, and education. Thank you, Dr. Adari, for this lovely informative talk. For further information, please refer back to Gina Guard last way 22 in the link attached below. And stay tuned for the next episode of 965 PTCast.